today we're starting a new conversation. Uh, we wrapped up our ser- series last week where we were in the book of Matthew. We're going to continue in the book of Matthew this week, but in a little bit of a different capacity. And we talked about Matthew chapter 5 the last three weeks. So if you missed that, please go back um, and catch up. And then we're going to continue through Matthew. Matthew's going to be a book that we focus on a lot this year. So if you're thinking about maybe something new to do for your own quiet time, your own time with the Lord, it might be a good opportunity to kind of lean into the book of Matthew and study that book this year. And this conversation that we're going to continue or start to have today is called Jesus Instead of Me. And if you can believe it, we're actually starting our Easter series already. Okay, anyone else feel like that's really fast that that got here? I feel like a year ago this time, right, everything slowed down dramatically and 2020 took kind of forever. And then all of a sudden we've hit 2021 and now we're two months in and it's just going, 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 which is great in some capacity. But it's also like, man, slow down a little bit. So we're excited to start to continue or start talking about Easter. And let me uh, just echo something that Dan said up here today. We are seeing, this is good, we're seeing an increase in numbers in a good way, right, in this room. And so that's great. And so we're starting to think about Easter. And so I just want to encourage us, if you um, are, you consider yourself a partner or a member here or a regular attender, we're already thinking about Easter and what that might look like. And we're hoping that we continue to see more and more people, but that means we're going to need some people to engage and serve again. And so if that's something that you've kind of said, hey, I've been on the back burner a little bit, understandably, whatever that means, if you're ready to come back, we would love to have you. So we'll be contacting you in a few different ways if we haven't already, just to say, hey, would you be ready to come back so we can welcome in like maybe some new people at Easter. It might be the first time that people feel an opportunity to come to, to church for the first time. And so we would love to be able to receive those people well, and it's also a good time during this series to invite somebody. Say, hey, would you want to come to church with me? Would you want to? Or if they're not ready to engage in person, they might be ready to engage online, which is the great reason we have video and podcasts available. So I would just encourage us to start thinking that way about Easter. Start thinking about who we can share the gospel with. Start thinking about who we can share our conversation this week with and going on into the next few weeks. And if you're engaging and you're not a follower of Jesus already, whether you're in the room or listening, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And we think this next few weeks are going to be a really cool opportunity to kind of flesh out Jesus's walk to the cross in his last few days and really studying what part we can glean from that, what we can learn about when we look at people and what role they played in that process and what that last week of Jesus's life was was for him, what it was like for his followers, what it was like for the people around him. And so that's where we're going to start our conversation today. There are two characters that we want to focus in on today, and they're kind of in contrast to one another. And so we're going to look at what it means to be one or the other, and we kind of have to evaluate which one are we more like, and then kind of see where we fall in that mix. So if you'd like to follow along, you can go to our website, you can go to the follow along card, and you'll find all the notes there, you'll find all the passages there. If you'd like to, you can open a physical Bible, you can turn on your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 today, and we're going to start reading in verse 6. And all the, all the notes or all the um, verses will be up here on the screen too for you if you don't have a Bible with you. So in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 6, it says this, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it all over his head. Now let's let's pause here for a minute because there's some details we don't have, there's some things we don't understand, and you might see the word alabaster and go, I have zero idea what that means, right? 
So one of the cool things about this story is it's actually found in every one of the Gospels. So we have four accounts of the same exact story. And every account gives us a little bit of a different detail. It's kind of like if you and I or you and some of your friends went to a concert or you went to a game or you went to a play or something like that. You went to an experience together and you went out to eat afterwards and you said, oh, what was your favorite part of what happened? And you would all share. And if you've been in that situation, sometimes you'll even share, someone will share something with you that you didn't even realize, right? Because their experience was a little bit different than yours. And so we just learn a lot. And so when we look at this story from the perspective of all the gospels, we get a lot more information. And what's happening in this story is there's actually a bunch of people gathered together, a very wide variety of people, some of which were Pharisees, some of which were followers of Jesus. And this is in a location, it's in Bethany. Bethany is the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So if you haven't heard that story, Jesus shows up, his friend has all already passed away, he's already been in the grave for three days. And he calls him out of the grave and he comes back to life. Lazarus is here at this dinner. Now, again, I said it's a very diverse group of people, right? Not many dinners I've ever been to has there been a person who's been raised from the dead before, right? So you've got all different kinds of people here and they're all paying attention to Jesus. And in the midst of this party, in the midst of this dinner, this woman named Mary walks in with this jar of perfume and pours it all over Jesus. Now, If someone did that at a party today, that would be really weird. Little different back then. See, when you think about it, different time period, 2,000 years ago, hygiene, not as great as it could be, right? Um, Plumbing, not as great as it could be. Travel, not as great as it could be. So when you had the opportunity to make yourself smell good, it was worth a lot more back then than it is today. And if you said there was really expensive bottle of perfume. I, I, I know nothing about the perfume world, but I would assume $200 is really expensive for perfume. And she walks in and she just pours this all over Jesus. Now, what we don't understand too, is that this wasn't just perfume for her. This was actually more like an insurance policy. It was actually more like her savings account. Why do I say that? Well, again, think about different times. For women, it was much more difficult to make money on their own in this time period than it is today. So women needed a a male counterpart, whether that was a husband, a father, a brother, and their role was to go and learn the trade and to provide for the family and to be able to have the resources. When there was no male counterpart in the relationship, it was very difficult for women to make money in this time. So what would they do? They would keep something like this around so that if they needed to make money, If they needed a source of income, they had it right there waiting. And what Mary does in these verses is she comes in and she basically takes her insurance policy, takes her savings account, and just pours it all over Jesus. Now, I don't know what Dave Ramsey would say about that, but I would think when we think about that, it doesn't seem like the most logical thing to do. But do you remember last week we had a conversation and we talked about persecution and I pulled a blank check from my wallet? Hopefully the only thing you don't, like, it's not the only thing you remember that I can't fill out checks. But the point was, when we decide to follow Jesus, we, we slide a blank check across to Jesus and we say, whatever you want, you can have it. We sign it, it's attached to our life's bank account, and whatever he wants to write in the blank 
is what we should hand over. That's exactly what Mary was doing. She was handing the blank check over to Jesus and just saying, everything I have, every worldly possession that I own, down to the last penny I have saved, is yours. And so again, remember, this is not an isolated event. It's not just Jesus and Mary that are here. There's Everybody's watching this. And when we go to verses 8 and 9, we get a little bit of the, of the response to this. In verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 26, it says, The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. So what they see is this woman takes something, by the way, I forgot to tell you how much this was worth. This would have been worth about $10,000 today. So if you took your last $10,000 and just handed it over to somebody, that's exactly what Mary just did. And so the disciples see this and they go, why in the world would you just simply pour $10,000 over Jesus? What a waste. And when you think about what they're saying, was it a waste? I guess. I mean, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and he would have just smelled great, right? So there was no need for this to happen necessarily. But they look at, what could we have done with this? How could we have leveraged this? How could we have, instead of simply stopping and thinking about what Mary was doing for Jesus at that time and what the disciples were worried about, they would, they would have rather built their, built their brand than worship their king. They were, they were more worried about what they could do, how they could leverage, how they could use this money than they were worried about how Jesus was being worshipped in that moment. And Jesus has a very pointed response in verses 10 and 11. It says, but Jesus aware of this replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will not always have the poor among you. Sorry, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verses 12 and 13, she has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. There's two things I want to point out about these verses. First of all, Jesus says, you will always have the poor, you won't always have me. Jesus is not saying, forget the poor, don't worry about them. He's not saying just ignore them. What he's saying is, be in the moment and worship me at this time. You will have your opportunity. You, you can spend the rest of your days follow, you know, caring for the poor, caring for the situations that you need to care for, and investing in that way. But in this moment, in this minute, what's important is that you spend time worshiping me. There's an interesting conversation we can have about that for ourselves, right? Like, there's always something else we could be doing. There's always something else we could be doing for work. There's always another email we could send. There's always another house project we could do. There's always another homework assignment that needs to be done. There's always another practice to be taken to, our game to attend. There's always other things we could be doing, right? And the question is, do we spend time each day, each week, each month, whatever that might be, just sitting at some point and worshiping Jesus? Because we get so busy and doing things that are outside of that worship that sometimes we, maybe I should talk for me, I get so busy doing things outside of worshiping Jesus that sometimes I go, I don't have this five minutes, I don't have this hour, I don't have this whatever it may be, because I have so many other things I need to do, and that's what the disciples worried about. And Jesus just says, stop. Focus on me for a minute. I'm not going to always be here. You know, we, when we talk about our kids and our students, we use a phrase 
We say it's just a it's just a phase, don't miss it. And the reason we say that is because oftentimes when you're raising kids, it can drive you crazy. There's certain things that just happen. Trust me, we're not sleeping great. <laughs> it just happens, right? And so you you have a time frame where there's a phase and you just kind of want to, sometimes we feel like we just want to get out of it. And yet what we need to think about is there's, there's a phase that's happening right now. Our kids will only be this age at one point. And we want to be present in that moment. And Jesus is saying the same thing. This is a time in history where we don't want to miss him. And so he says to the disciples, you need to be focused on worshiping me. And the other thing he says in these verses is about Mary. He says, everywhere the gospel is preached, this woman's story will be remembered and talked about. This is one of these really cool moments where when we have a conversation about this passage, it's literally the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. Right? We're having this conversation. We're going to talk about Mary. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, guess what, guys? You're going to remember this forever. All four gospel writers remembered this, and they handed it over. And the funny thing is, the disciples are going to be the first ones to take the gospel. So the ones who stepped up and said, why are you doing this, are going to be the ones who tell her story forever. And so we learn from her, and, and Jesus was saying, I would want this story to be told more than many other stories. Why? Because Mary gave up her earthly control to embrace her eternal security. This was her control. This was her saying, I have things taken care of. This was her saying, I have my ducks in a row for retirement, or whatever that might be, right? And, and instead of living in that space, she would rather simply worship Jesus and recognize that he would provide all that she needed. And so the first character we think about today is Mary. And we kind of have to look at that story and go, why, if Jesus was so intent on saying that this story will live on, it's clearly an example of what he would want us to follow. Now here's what I'm not saying. Don't go empty the last $10,000 and give it to anybody. That is not what we're preaching here today, right? You need to think that through. But the reality is what's what is our reflection on our stuff, right? What Pastor Andrew just talked about. Where are our earthly possessions? It's very clear. Or how do we see our earthly possessions? It's very clear what Mary thought about her earthly possessions. She would rather give them up to worship Jesus than hold on to them and build her own kingdom. Now, there's a very sharp turn that happens in Matthew 26 at this point. And this experience that was had with Mary and Jesus and everybody that was at this party changes drastically, and it causes one of the disciples to take a step in the wrong direction. In verse 14 of Matthew 26, it says this, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you, will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so this event at this party in Bethany seems to be kind of the last straw for Judas. He saw what Jesus did with this wealth that could have been had, and he saw what Jesus' response was when he and the other disciples said, why are we doing this? And it it was like just a switch went off and he immediately goes and he has this conversation with the leaders. He says, how much? How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? 
Here's what I want us to understand today. Judas decided to betray Jesus because Jesus didn't meet his expectations. Judas decides to betray Jesus because Judas had some expectations on Jesus that Jesus didn't meet. Judas's expectation for Jesus when Mary comes and pours all this on him was for him to turn to her and say, hey, there was a better use of this. There was a better way for us to go about this. Judas had some things in mind that he wanted from Jesus. We don't, we don't have this all necessarily laid out, but when we think logically about what might have been going on in Judas's head, here's what maybe some of the things he was thinking about. Remember, Israel at the time was held by the Romans. The, their empire was long-reaching, and they had a very strong hold on this region. And so they were controlled completely by the Romans. And many of the Jews at the time saw the Messiah as somebody who was going to come in and get them out of this bondage. They were going to overthrow this government. They were going to be set free. It was going to be all good. And yet nowhere in scripture, when we're looking at Jesus, was he worried about that. And so maybe that was something that Judas thought about. And he was hoping that the Messiah would bring that. And then Jesus wasn't, didn't seem to be interested in that. There's a chance that maybe he was worried about power. He was worried about trying to build, again, his brand off of who Jesus was. I mean, if Jesus is your rabbi and you were called to follow him, the goal was then to look like Jesus and to glean his knowledge. And if Jesus is this rabbi that's having thousands of people show up to speak or to hear him speak, Judas could have been thinking, well, hey, man, when it's my turn, I'm going to have thousands of people showing up to hear me, and I'm going to be able to rub shoulders with the rich and the famous, and I'm going to be able to build my following. And yet again, Jesus was never interested in that. Jesus always went to those who were poor. He went to the sinners. He went to the people who needed it more. He wasn't interested in rubbing shoulders with the elite and building his own brand. He wanted to be around the people that needed him. And we know for sure from this passage that Judas was hoping for wealth. See, when Judas saw that $10,000 given over to Jesus, he saw the percentage of it that was his, that wasn't going to come to him. The reason we know that is because the scriptures tell us that he was actually pulling some money from the money purse for himself. And so he was seeing his money drift away. And his expectations for Jesus eventually caused him to simply walk away and to say, if Jesus isn't living up to what I want, I am unwilling to follow him. Here's what I want us to kind of get into today. Here's the tension I want us to understand. When we, when we place expectations on Jesus that Jesus doesn't promise us, we've kind of drawn a line in the sand of where we're willing to follow Jesus to. Like, I'll follow Jesus as long as this doesn't happen. I'll follow Jesus as long as he doesn't ask me to go here. I'll follow Jesus as long as he keeps meeting this expectation. And then immediately when that's not met, we have the opportunity to turn the other way. And, and the thing is, we all have our price. We all have that price that, we're will, that will cause us to go that way. There's a challenge that's going around on the internet right now um, where wives will film themselves having a conversation with their husband or with their boyfriend. Okay? So you can think about this if you're married or in a dating relationship. You can think about what you would do in the situation. The, the wife films herself, and she says, I have a question for you. And he goes, okay. She goes, it, for a billion dollars, would you punch me in the face as hard as you could? 
Now, husbands don't react necessarily to that. But here's how most of the conversations go. The husband goes, you, you said billion with a B. Wife goes, or girlfriend goes, yeah. He goes, absolutely not even a decision. Wow, there's like silence. Everyone's afraid to react to that, I think. So why is that, why is that there, right? The husband sometimes will go, the wife will sometimes respond, and she will say, okay, good answer. I want the billion dollars. Sometimes the wife responds and goes, why in the world would you punch me? And the husband goes, I could buy you a new face. Like, it, it's okay. We can fix it. We can take care of life forever, right? It's a billion dollars. So you can think what you want about that. Maybe don't have that discussion on the way home. That could go poorly. But what's the point, right? You st- the immediate question from the husband was, I get this right, right? I'm, I'm hearing the word, right, with a billion, like a billion dollars. That's what we're at. You start dropping that price down, and there's a moment where you, you, I hope you think about it before you say yes so quick, right? There's a point where there's a price. And at that price point, for many, and now in just a video without having it be a reality, that's their response. But what's the point? There's a, there's a price. There's a place we're willing to go to. And when we place our own expectations on Jesus, what happens is we've decided where we'll follow him to. And there's a point where if he doesn't meet our expectations that we've placed on him, we may walk away. And that's what Judas was in. And this conversation is a big deal to me because I've seen a lot of people over the years that I've known and some that I don't know or some that I've known of who have claimed Jesus at a certain time and then they get to their college or adult years and that changes. If I think about people that I went on mission trips with in high school, I can name a ton of people who just don't believe in Jesus anymore. I mean, we, we traveled to another country together to tell people about Jesus and yet today they would not even go to church. There are famous people, musicians, bands, people, uh, internet personalities who have said, and I've heard them from stage say, claim the name of Jesus, and now 10 years later, they want nothing to do with him. And why does that happen? Why is that the case? It's because they had expectations that they placed on Jesus, and when Jesus didn't show up and meet their expectations, not the things that he promised them, but their expectations, they decided to walk away. And so I want to have this conversation today. I want to camp on that a little bit because I don't want us, whether we're in the room or watching online or listening later, I want us to recognize this. And this is what I did when I taught apologetics to high schoolers. I would take these very difficult questions that they were sometimes even worried about answering themselves. And I would say, what do we do with this? Because I didn't want their expectations or somebody else's expectations on Jesus to define their relationship. I wanted them and Jesus to define their relationship. And so there are four things that I think get into this space that cause us to walk away from Jesus if our expectations are met. The first thing is convenience. Sometimes it becomes inconvenient to follow Jesus. Can I be really real for a second with you? A year ago, when everything shut down and we weren't allowed to have church, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, for multiple Sundays in a row, I didn't have to get up and go anywhere. I hadn't experienced that for 15 years, more than that maybe. And for a minute, that was kind of nice. Okay, For a couple of weeks there in a row, I was like, man, I don't have to get. We had recorded church previously, and so I could get up. We didn't have to get our kids anywhere. We could just get up. We could have coffee. We could sit together and engage with church from our couch. 
Now, you're crazy if you're telling me that that wasn't nice at least for a week or two. I'm just being honest, right? As a pastor, we felt that too. But after a few weeks, it became, I, 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 I want to go back. Like, I miss my friends. I miss my small group. I miss seeing people. I miss hanging out with the kids in kids' ministry. I miss seeing the students instead of just doing student ministry on Zoom. Like, it, there was this draw to come back because I wanted to be there. But sometimes what can happen is that the convenience or the inconvenience of following Jesus gets to us. And we realize, man, if we just decide not to follow Jesus, we just decide to, like, we don't have to do this. There's no expectations. There's no feelings of, I have to do this. It's way more convenient than needing to lean in and intentionally have a relationship. And so sometimes simply that convenience of the relationship gets to us and we decide, you know, it's just not convenient to be a follower of Jesus anymore. The second thing is comfort. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to follow Jesus. We talked about that last week with persecution. And I wonder, as we're thinking about Judas, I wonder how comfortable it really was to follow Jesus 2,000 years ago. I mean, we know that he didn't have a place to live all the time. He would bounce around from place to place. That meant you didn't necessarily know where your next meal was coming or who you were go- whose house you were going to, and you don't know if they're going to make something you like. I mean, I mean, there's an uncomfortableness to being a follower of Jesus. And sometimes it just gets us to the point where, like, we think it's going to be more comfortable than it is. And when it becomes uncomfortable enough, we decide, you know what? I'm just too uncomfortable. I don't want to worry about it. I don't want to be asked to do this. I don't want to be asked to do that. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. I don't want to, whatever it might be, I don't want to get up. I don't want to pray. I don't want to open my Bible, whatever it might be. And we just get to the point where we just say, you know what? I just, it's too uncomfortable for me. The next one is, is confidence. And this one is a little more nuanced. You know, most people become a follower of Jesus when they're a kid. Most people, it's before they're the age 18. And many times what can happen is when you've got a kid, like this happened to me, I know many others, you decide to follow Jesus as a kid. A lot of times it's because there's an adult who pours into you, who influences you, invests in you, and you trust that adult. And so that adult says to you, hey, I, I believe this is who Jesus is. I believe that I should model my life after it. And so when you as a kid look at that person and you say, I I trust what that person's saying, they've showed up in my life, and their life seems to be going pretty well, you say, you know what, I, I believe you. And so we follow along with that person, and maybe that was part of the influence in us making the decision. Now, that's a good thing when we influence kids and teenagers to follow Jesus. But what can happen is if that adult walks away from faith, their confidence in Christ can change because their expectation was for that person to continue following Jesus. That Their expectation was for that person to be the type of person they were going to be. And so when that person decides not to follow Jesus, when that person decides that they're going to fall into sin, when that person decides to make a change in their life and they're not a follower anymore, Kids, teenagers, or people that were kids and teenagers and now they're adults, college students, they can decide to walk away. Why? Because their confidence in Jesus was shaken. Because someone they trusted decided they didn't believe in him anymore. And the last thing is this, control. Mary did this, right? She gave up control. She gave up control of her own finances, her own life to say, I'm going to follow Jesus 
all in. And when we decide to follow Jesus, we, we give up control. And for many of us, that's the most difficult thing to give up. It's very difficult for me, I'll say that. And so with all of these things that we just talked about, the issue is we have to ask ourselves a question, right? Are my expectations of Jesus, what Jesus is going to do in my life, how he's going to show up, are they based on the promises that Jesus gave to me or are they based on expectations that I've placed on him? Here's what I would say to us today. If you expect Jesus to meet all your expectations, your understanding of Jesus is too small. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. We talked about the expensive perfume, $10,000. You know how much 30 pieces of silver would be today? 200 bucks. So for $200, Judas decides, I'm going to sell Jesus out. I'm done. And that's all Jesus was worth to him. Judas decided it was worth it to trade $200 Jesus, his own idea of Jesus, rather than simply seeing Jesus as the priceless person he was. And his understanding of Jesus, his expectations of Jesus, were far too small. So let's go on in the story. Last bit of the passage for today. We're going to start in verse 20. And all of this happened right before Jesus would go to the cross. All of this happened just in that last week beforehand. So right now we're in the Last Supper. In verse 20 of Matthew 26 says this, When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said to them, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked him in turn, am I the one, Lord? Verse 23, he replied, one of you who has just eaten from the bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. You know, it's really easy for us to, it's, I, I should talk about me again. It's easy for me to look at this passage and to say, you know what? I would never be as dumb as the disciples. I would never be as stupid as Judas. I would never betray Jesus for 200 bucks. I wouldn't do it, never. And yet what the disciples say in this passage is actually very telling in a good way, I think. Because when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they basically go around the circle and go, Jesus, is it, is it me? And why would they ask that? Because they recognized their own need for grace. They recognized their own faults. They recognized their own thoughts they had. They recognized their own inability to be like Jesus without Jesus. So they say, is it me? And eventually gets to Judas and he says, it's you. We'll pick up on some of that story later, but we know that Judas does betray Jesus. And that leads to him eventually heading to the cross. So we have a choice today. We have a choice between Judas and Mary. Judas chose religion. What does that mean? Following Jesus for Judas was just a means to an end. We talked about it before. He wanted justice. He wanted freedom for Israel. He wanted power. He wanted wealth. And so what he looked at was he would go to Jesus. He would hand over his life to Jesus, or he would follow Jesus for these three years. 
but his hopes, his expectation was for what he was going to get back from it. And when Jesus didn't deliver the things that Jesus never said he would deliver, Judas said, I'm out. And if our relationship with Jesus is just simply, what can I get from Jesus? It's not a relationship. It's a, it's a situation where we're trying to have a transaction and we're trying to claim things from Jesus that maybe he never promised in the first place. But what did Mary do? Mary chose the gospel. What does that mean? Christ was a treasure worth losing everything for. It was worth handing over her life. It was worth giving everything she had to follow him with zero expectation of what was coming in return. So the question is, are we willing to hand over our lives with zero expectation of what's coming in return? Jesus says, I mean, we talked about last week, right? Persecution is going to come. It's going to be difficult. You're going to go through trials. He doesn't promise a perfect life all the way through. But what does he promise? He promises in the next life. Again, go back to what the passage Pastor Andrew talked about before. Judas was so worried about his treasures here on earth. But what did that passage say? Store up your treasures in heaven. That was what Jesus had promised them, was that in the next life they would receive their reward, but not to worry about it here. And each week what we want to do is I want to take the phrase Jesus instead of me and say, okay, what does that mean for me this week? How do I, how do I tangibly stop this week and take some time to actually say, I'm going to worry about what Jesus said instead of what I say. I'm going to worry about who Jesus was instead of who I want to be, and really focus on that. And so this week, our phrase is, Jesus instead of me means I, I must always remind myself of my need for grace. You see, when we get to the point where we don't think we need grace, or we think, like what I said earlier, I'm so much, I would never be as dumb as the disciples. I would never be like Judas. We get to this point where we kind of forget what we needed rescuing from in the first place. And we start to think, I can, I can put expectations. I can, I can do this on my own. I can think about it this way. I can not worry about it. And really what we need to do is remind ourselves of that need for grace every day and how Jesus shows up every day if we are his followers and he offers us new grace every morning. So how do we do that? I have this practice that I think we can put into, into practice. It just involves a conversation with ourselves every morning. A conversation where we remind ourselves of where, who we are and how Jesus feels about us. And so I would challenge you, if you're thinking about this and you want to just simply have this idea of Jesus in front, instead of me in the forefront of your mind every day, I think there's a conversation that simply happens every morning. And so I think our morning conversation should go like this. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace, Jesus instead of me. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace, and I choose to be like Jesus instead of me. Because we don't know what's best. We don't always have the right expectations. I mean, if we really think about it, do we always live up to our own expectations? No. But when Jesus shows up, his expectations of us are so much greater. And through him, we can see so much more and have such a greater life because of what he has done for us. So we wake up every day. We have that conversation. I don't know everything, right? I am a sinner. I make mistakes. But Jesus saved me. 
So I need to choose him instead of me. When we do that, our expectations, the things that we've placed on Jesus that he didn't promise in the first place will go away and we'll recognize that we have a need for him to be at the center of who we are. And when we go through our day, it would be more of a focus on him. It would be a Jesus instead of me focus. When we're interacting in our home, when we're at school, when we're wherever we are, we can just remember, take my expectations away and lean into who Jesus is and be the person he has called us to be. And my prayer is that we would be more like Mary than Judas. If we look at Judas and we go, so stupid, we're missing it. Because guess what? We deserve the same thing. We would do the same thing if, if maybe if given the opportunity, if our priorities, if our expectations were not in the right place. But if we're more like Mary, we hand every day over to Jesus and just say, you know what? It's yours. Take it and use it. I use my day to worship you. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of salvation that you offer to us. And as we walk through these few weeks together and we think about the last few days before your crucifixion and what you walked through and who walked through it with you, we pray that we would understand the sacrifice that you made for us. And we ask that we would be people that do not respond the way Judas did, that we would respond the way Mary did, and that we would hand each day over to you, lay it at your feet, and that we would worship you, and we would look at life and just say that we want to focus on you instead of ourselves, that we would take the expectations away from a transactional relationship with you, and we would focus on the promises you made to us, and in doing so, people would see you more through our lives. We ask that we would have that conversation with us, with ourselves every day. You would remind us to do that and say, we are a sinner, we are saved by grace, and we need to choose you rather than ourselves. And that would be a great reminder to us each morning to hand our day over to you. In Jesus' name, amen.